Last time I shared uh, this message, I was in a, uh, it went 40, uh, an hour and a half. Uh, that's because I shared it in the Haitian church in Miami, and Merlinda Nolisti was my interpreter. And so you can double the time for interpretation. In any case, uh, that was a joy to be down there and share the word of God with them. And I'll explain a little bit about, um, I preached on justification there in the church Oh, about, about a year and a half ago, and I finished up, and they were had a question-answer session in the evening, and they wanted to know, uh, one of the questions that came up is about forgiveness, and they had a lot of problems with this subject, and they said, uh, I said to them, I said, I, I can't handle it in a question-answer session, I need a, a full message, and maybe when I come back someday, I'll do that. Well, a bunch of them came up and said, we want you back next week. I said, I can't come next week. So anyhow, I came in the spring and came back and shared this message, and uh, it was an encouragement to them, as was the justification message. What a blessing to be able to share God's Word. Uh, I look at my ministry, and I think, what a blessing just to be involved in what you're doing. It's not like a sacrifice. I want to talk to you now about uh, a message. Um, I shared a few of these things about 10 years ago, and I was getting a lot of pressure to, uh, because of this particular problem that Christians are having. And I grabbed some of that that I had done before here, and I redid it into a message uh, that I think has been ministering to a lot of people. Let me just begin by talking. Let's begin with prayer first. Our gracious God and Father, I just thank you for this privilege to open your word and to share it in such a way that would encourage your people, encourage my heart. Help us to learn what you would want us to learn about this important teaching in the Scripture on forgiveness. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Joe Posaneski, the author of the book Paterno, writes the following about Joe Paterno. On November 4, 2011, Joe Paterno was a nominee for the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The main library at Penn State was named for him and a statue of him stood in front of the football stadium. He was admired by American presidents, Republican and Democrat, and beloved by business leaders and clergy, football junkies and academics. There had been countless growing stories written and told about him. 60 Minutes had done a piece on him so favorable that Paterno himself claimed to be embarrassed by it. Sports Illustrated had named him Sportsman of the Year. The Big Ten Conference named a trophy after him. Paterno had won more games than any Big Ten football coach ever and was on any short list of the greatest coaches ever. People called him St. Joe. Then came the public revelation of the Joe of the Jerry Sandusky child molestation tragedy. And subsequently, a Penn State jury, a Penn State-funded investigation concluded that Joe Paterno had played a crucial role in the university's tragic failure to deal with Sandusky's ongoing, unspeakable criminal behavior. Joe Paterno had become aware in some measure of Sandusky's behavior, but failed to report it to the police. That was his error, his failure. As a result, Joe Posnanski writes, there has been a nationwide effort to scrub Paterno's name from the record. On November 5th, Joe Paterno became perhaps the most despised man in American sports. But after poring over Joe Paterno's life, Posnanski concludes Joe Paterno was a human being filled with ideals and flaws. 
honesty and hypocrisy, charity and selfishness, modesty and the refusal to abdicate his throne. There was little simple about him. And all that has been written and said about Joe Paterno's tragic fall from grace, there is one thing I've never heard, one word I've never heard used, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Whether we're talking about Woody Hayes, the coach of Ohio State that slugged a player on the opposite team, Jim Trestle, who was also a coach at Ohio State, who lied, or a host of other men and women who have contributed in some way to American culture and American lives. Because of personal sin and failure, the world has no place for forgiveness nor any understanding of forgiveness. This is a tragedy. About a year ago, I was with my dad, a little over a year ago, and um, we were talking. I think we were talking about this subject of, of uh, Joe Paterno and Jim Trussell, whom he was interested in because uh, he was a high State fan. And he's also talking a little bit about my ministry overseas. And one of the problems that I face overseas is that uh, there's a great deal of anger and hatred among the pastors in their churches um, because of the terrible pressure and uh, uh, the, the, the oppression and the persecution they've faced from the government and from the things that have happened in their nation. The violence, the bitterness, often also pours over into these ethnic groups, particularly in Burma. There's eight major ethnic tribes. It's called Burma originally by the English because it was always Miramar in their minds, but in the English called it Burma because the Burmese tribe is the biggest tribe. But there's a number of the other tribes. There's the Chin, the Kachin, and the list goes on. A number of those tribes were reached by missionaries. In any case, uh, there's a lot of hatred there and a lot of anger toward the government particularly when they elected Aung Su Chi, who was the lady that was their president. In fact, I was riding along in a taxi cab, and the cab driver could speak a little English. He said, what do you think of our lady? And I went, what in the world are you talking about? And then it began to click as he asked me a little bit more, oh, Aung Su Chi. And they have high reverence for her in that culture, and yet she was thrown out and imprisoned in her own home for 20 years, and now she's back into the political scene. And, uh, but up until that happened a year ago, I mean, there was so much anger and hatred for the, the government and for what they were going through. And I could sense there's no concept of forgiveness in that culture either. And it was spilling over into some respects into the, into the uh, lives of the pastors and the churches they were pastoring. My dad was talking with me about it, and he offered, he said, um, he says, well, you know, I forgive, but I don't forget. And I said to dad, I said, well, dad, uh, that's quite different from, from God. And God, when he forgives, he forgets. It says in the Bible that our sins he will remember no more. Dad says, show me that verse. I didn't have my Bible at the time, 
But about a couple hours later, we were sitting out on the porch. This was at his little lake cottage he has in Ohio. And there was another lady there that my dad doesn't have many friends left. He's buried them all. He's a funeral director. He's 91 or 90 now, and and, uh, mom is 91. And so this one lady that's been, she and her husband who died, have been friends with theirs for years. So, So the lady was out there at the lake cottage, and she was sitting out on the porch, and I was sitting there next to her, and my dad was sitting to my right. And uh, she was telling me a little bit about her two sons, and she says, they have taken all of my money, and they've made it so I can't have any say over what I have. And they're using it for themselves, and I have to almost beg to get money from them. But she says, I forgive them. And I asked her, I said, well, do you forgive them like my dad forgives, or do you forgive like God forgives? My dad's sitting right here. And he's perked up. And she says, what do you mean? And I said, well, when my dad forgives, he doesn't forget. But when my God forgives, he doesn't remember. And I went on to explain. My father, when he forgives, he doesn't forget. So that the next time you screw up or do something wrong or hurtful, he grabs it all and brings it all up there for you. All the things you've ever done wrong before in that particular vein. So he can demonstrate to you just how bad you are. But I said, when God forgives, he will never again bring up a sin or wrongdoing to make a point or cause division or hurt between you and him. My dad said, show me that verse. So I showed it to him. And then he agreed with what I said, and he smiled. By the way, I shared this truth with him in his church, and I used that illustration. He's sitting right in the front row. And he came up afterwards. He says, Al, son, that was great. In the world about us, most people know very little about forgiveness. In evening news, we hear all about the wrong and the sin and the, the various things that have happened that day that create anger in our heart and hurt and bitterness towards certain people. Except when they interview a Christian, and occasionally when they interview a Christian, the word forgiveness, you'll hear it. But never do you hear the word forgiveness in a normal news broadcast. My dad, like most Christians, knew that forgiveness is something that should highlight our Christian life. But like most Christians, he struggled to understand just what it means to forgive. And I'm like that too. Forgiveness has never been easy to really grasp. I would guess that many of you have been hurt deeply in some way in your life. Maybe right now some of you are going through some very painful situation. Hurt and pain and suffering that's been brought on you by somebody else who has caused the hurt, caused the pain. Now, you and I as believers, we know we should forgive them. But we may find forgiveness just too hard, or at best, too confusing to practice. My hope is this morning is for all of us to hear the Word of God and hear what it says about forgiveness so that we will forgive 
and we will earn and want to clean the slate and wipe away the hurts and the offenses that we have caused or that others have caused us by our sin and evil and rejoice that we have done something that really pleases our Heavenly Father. Seldom, as we struggle to understand, seldom do we ever hear anything about forgiveness from the world. The world has just no concept of forgiveness. The best they can do is, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I didn't, I'm sorry I did that. Well, sorry doesn't get it. Deep down in the heart of a person thinking like the world, we would find that forgiveness is not even on their radar screen. Biblical forgiveness. Men's Health magazine captures the, the manly approach, or we could say the worldly approach, to those who hurt or wrong us. Get the first slide up here. Okay? Forgive? Forget it! When you have it in for a guy, don't have it in halfway. Push the blade in so far that it comes out on the other side. More accordingly, according to Men's Health, which expresses well the world's attitudes, we simply need to adhere to a built-in grudge meter. Slide number two. The guy who cut me off in traffic, hold a grudge for 15 minutes. The guy who stole my job, hold a grudge for eight months. The boss who fired me, hold a grudge for a lifetime. This is how the world about us handles the hurt and pain that others have caused them. It's how we, if we were in the world, would handle the pain and suffering others cause us. And unfortunately, many of us as believers adopt the world's approach. We stick the blade in so far, it comes out on the other side. Or at times we hold a grudge for life. But there's a better way. Every Sunday, or every month, depending on the church, we observe the Lord's Supper. And when we observe the Lord's Supper, the reason we take it is, according to the Bible, to proclaim the death of our Lord Jesus Christ till he comes. Why does God call upon us to proclaim the death of our Lord Jesus Christ so often? Because in the death of our Savior lies the true power and basis for forgiveness. In contrast to the bitterness and lack of forgiveness, which can destroy a church, a community, a friendship, a home, and of course even a marriage. Every time we sin and hurt our Heavenly Father, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ is the basis for His forgiveness of us. Likewise, it is the basis upon which we are called to forgive one another. We have a marriage course at B World. And I've told, talked with them before about the many things they're teaching, which is good stuff. But the bottom line for a good marriage is the ability to forgive. Because there's no marriage that I know of that where you're not going to get hurt. Where you're not going to be angry with your mate. 
even fighting angry. But you know, when you take the Lord's Supper, you need to understand the Lord's saying you need to be forgiving one another. When you look at Jesus on the cross as two married people, there's the fundamental basis for a relationship in that marriage. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. John said in slide three. The Apostle Paul writes, In his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. John the Apostle writes, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So according to the word of God, what does it mean to forgive someone who has sinned against us, who's offended us, who's hurt us deeply, whether it be our wife or maybe our husband or it be a friend or it be somebody in the church? What is forgiveness all about? It's about four things which are often overlooked when we think about forgiveness. First, forgiveness is about fellowship. It's about a personal relationship. This is so, so important. Listen to John again in John chapter, 1 John chapter uh, 1 there. He says this, That which we have seen and heard from the Lord Jesus Christ, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is not about making a case before a judge. Let me emphasize that again. Forgiveness is not about making a case before a judge. Forgiveness is not about a courtroom. It's about a living room. Forgiveness is not about a bar of justice, but a table around which people fellowship. And when sin and hurt enter that fellowship, they come together around the table to work through the wrongs that have been committed and the hurt that continues. This is true in our, in our case in our case with the relationship we have with God. Many people confuse the biblical concept of justification and forgiveness. Last time I was here, I believe I spoke on justification. Justification is a Bible term, as we stressed. It describes how God can be just in justifying those who believe in Jesus. Justification is about a figurative courtroom in which God declares us just and right in his sight because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, it has been said, forgiveness is not a judicial issue between man and God, but a personal issue between man and God. Forgiveness is about our relationship or fellowship with God, our Heavenly Father. That's the difference.
You see this in the parent-child relationship. And no time does a parent think, I don't want anything to do with this child, I've disowned this child. At least a, parent, a good parent shouldn't think that way. But there's going to be times in which you're going to tell your child, do such and such. And the child isn't going to do it. The child's going to drop the ball. Or the child is going to mouth off and he's going to say something that's very hurtful to you or to your wife or to your husband. And you're going to be angry with that child until that child comes to you and says, Mom or Dad, forgive me. I said the wrong thing. Or I did the wrong thing. And you're going to reach out and you're going to hug that child and say, I forgive you. But it's your child. Now, until he comes or she comes and says, Mom or Dad, forgive me, your relationship with your child is not going to be good. When I was growing up, my mother was always such a wonderful mother, a very godly and loving mother. And when we got her mad, it was just killing us. My sister and I. Mom's mad. Mom's angry. How can we help? Oh, Mom, forgive me for what I said. And then things got better. That's what we're talking about here. Likewise, forgiveness between people. Between a man and a man. Between a woman and a woman. Or between a man and a woman. It's not a judicial issue. But a personal issue. The matter of forgiveness does not require us to act like lawyers trying to prove our case. And therein is the heart of the problem most of us have with forgiveness. Listen to this. In matters involving forgiveness, all too often, we tend to think in terms of making our case before the person who has offended us. But not only do we want to make our case before the person who has offended us, we also call our mutual friends in to also judge between us and we make our case before them then based upon what we believe to be the correct judgment we impose a penalty we refuse to speak to them or socialize or act warmly toward the offender or contribute in any way toward that person's way of happiness life peace sense of peace we don't want to do anything that want to make them feel good until the offender has served his or her time in the prison we've erected. That's the way so many of us handle forgiveness. But that is not correct. Forgiveness is not a judicial issue. It's not about making a case or winning a case. Forgiveness is a personal issue. It's about removing an offense and restoring a relationship. It's not about how to make a case, but how to make up. It's about speaking and acting in ways that contribute toward removing the offense and restoring the relationship. Even in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, the, the Greek words we translate into English with the word forgive and forgiveness. Here's what those Greek words really mean in the context in which you often find them. One word means lifting and carrying away something that has come between us. Another word means sending away an offense that has caused hurt in your relationship. All these words are translated forgive or forgiveness in our language, but there's a richness that comes from the language of the original text. Another word means releasing someone from the burden of having caused an offense or of having failed your relationship in some way. You're releasing them. 
In the Old Testament, the imagery is especially vivid. Forgiveness is a releasing one from past violations, transgressions, and failures. The past acts and deeds of sin are not denied, but there is no longer any bondage. Forgiveness brings freedom. Whether we are the injured party or the offending party in a relationship, to be concerned about forgiveness is to be concerned about removing the burden, the offense, or whatever it has that has come between you and someone else with a view to restoring your friendship, your relationship that you once enjoyed. The second thing about forgiveness, second is forgiveness is about the forgiveness of God. The reason the world knows nothing or very little about forgiveness is because they know little or nothing about the forgiveness of of God. God's forgiveness of us depends upon our forgiveness of one another. I imagine most of you know the Lord's Prayer. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That's in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. Now, what is the most important part of that prayer? You're thinking, what? It's all important, isn't it? No, there's one part that's really important. What is that? Notice verses 14 and 15, the next two verses after the prayer in Matthew chapter 6. For if if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Luke summarizes it well in chapter 6 in his gospel. He says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Whoa! This is critical. We can't be forgiven by God unless we forgive each other. Right now, if you're carrying a grudge or bitterness or anger or hatred, you and God don't have much of a relationship. That doesn't mean you're not one of his children. There's no point. It's not talking about your eternal salvation. We're all part of the family of God here because we believe in Jesus Christ. We haven't lost our eternal salvation because we're forgivelessness. But he is saying that if we want to be his followers and to experience the full blessings of close fellowship with our Heavenly Father, then we need to forgive those who hurt us, who, ref- who refuse to forgive. Then we are on the outs with God. If you don't forgive those who hurt you, who've caused you offense, You and God have a problem, and the problem is yours. You're on the outs with God. That's something we need to take to heart. And we are, if we continue to be on the outs with God because we are because we won't forgive, we will experience his severe discipline, just as you would discipline a child that has crossed that line. You have a child, and they won't make up with the 
A little brother doesn't make up with a sister or another brother. What do you do as a parent? You don't throw the child out of the family because they don't forgive. But you discipline them. You speak clearly to them until they have made up. That's so important to your family. It's just as important to God's family. If we refuse to forgive, then we're on the outs with God, our Heavenly Father. Not outside the family, but ripe for severe discipline. When we are bitter and unwilling to forgive, life in this world quickly degenerates into a miserable state. You found in, as a pastor over these years, many, many years, for 35, 40 years, there were some people in the church that were miserable. And the root of the problem was not because they weren't Christians, but because they were not forgiving. They were carrying a grudge. They were bitter. They were angry. They had not dealt with the hurt and pain that someone had caused them. And that brings us to the third issue about forgiveness. Forgiveness is about taking action. Forgiveness is about taking action. That's slide number seven. To begin with, the offended person needs to take action, and so does the offender. We'll try to create some time for the first one. I don't know if we'll have time to go to the second. But in any case, in case of the person who's been hurt, offended or violated, the action needs to be quick and decisive. Often people hurt or offend us are those that are not even aware of it. They aren't even aware they caused us any pain or hurt. This is especially true when it comes to things that are said which are hurtful and offensive. I'm one of those that's uh, usually the offender. (laughs) And I'm in the course of a conversation. I say something that's really not appropriate and it hurts somebody. I don't even know it. But that person then holds a grudge. The pastor spoke harshly about me. All I had to do was kidding around, I thought. Nevertheless, you were hurt. And in some cases, you've said some things, and I've been hurt. What do we do about that? What do we do about it? Step one, ASAP, we need to forgive. ASAP stands for as soon as prayer. Whenever you stand praying, Matthew 11 says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Strong stuff. That doesn't mean he's going to send you to hell. That means you and God are at odds, and that is not a good position to be in. If someone has wronged us, then in the context of prayer, forgive. In the sense of releasing the offender and the offended to the Lord. All sin is against God, and therefore the discipline or punishment of those whose sin belongs to him. If I've said something that hurts you, quickly forgive me. If you've said something that hurts me, quickly forgive. If you've done something that hurts somebody else, That person who's offended or hurt or in pain, forgive. In our flesh, when we we are offended, we want to strike back and avenge the wrong. But the Lord says, don't do it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. God's actions, even dealing with sin and wrongdoing, are always just and good. We're not good at that. When it comes to meeting out justice, we don't do a very good job. 
Don't even determine to give him or her who hurt you and offended you the silent treatment. You know what that is. Occasionally I get that at home. And I've given it too. Don't give them the cold shoulder treatment. I want nothing to do with you. Don't give them the disgusted look treatment. In case of brothers and sisters in Christ, we want and expect a confession and a humble response. But more often than not, you're not going to get it. Suck it up, as they say in the world, and move on with the confidence that the Lord will vindicate you. If not now, then in the world to come. Because of your grace and your love and your forgiving spirit. Keep this counsel always in front of your thoughts when it comes to being hurt or offended. Proverbs 19.11, the discretion, slide 8, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to what? Overlook a transgression. When you overlook something that somebody said or done to you that hurts, God's really pleased. Move on in his love. On the other hand, sometimes a transgression or violation has significant consequences or is part of a pattern of behavior that needs to be confronted in a gracious way. Sometimes an offending brother or sister remains ignorant and settled into a pattern of hurtful behavior. In such cases, the offended brother or sister needs to take additional steps toward reconciliation and forgiveness. A God-produced spirit of grace must clearly be behind this next step. Step two, slide nine, rebuke, rebuke. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4 says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, which means to acknowledge his sin and turn back toward restoring the relationship, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Rebuke means to warn, admonish, and censure. Rebuking in Luke 17.3 is a summary statement of a three-stage process that we may have some time to look at in just a moment in Matthew 18. To rebuke someone involves some confrontation. It's important that we never lose sight of doing this out of love and grace. You don't rebuke somebody when you're mad. Only when you're full of God's love and grace. Proverbs 27.5 and 6 says this, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You're going to this person as a friend, as somebody that cares, as somebody that really is loving this person and wanting to get the thing straightened out. I was, when I first started my ministry, I mean, you, you saw me at times as a pastor. I was pretty bad at times, but I was really bad when I came out of seminary. I had been taught the grace of God in seminary, but I didn't know anything about it. My first ministry that I was in, I was working as an associate pastor. And I don't know, there, there came a point uh, about the first year that I was involved in this ministry, and it was a large, large ministry, and I left a trail of people <laughs> that were hurt and broken. And the pastor of the church that I was working under, he was one of the most gracious people, very gentle. He calls me in. And we sit down and he says, Arch, you know, you got a problem. It seems like that every time you open your mouth, you're causing people pain and hurt. You need to tone it down. 
we know your motives are good. We know you're going in the right direction, but you just don't do it very graciously. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, I'd like to be like you. You're really gracious. And so he taught me a lot about grace in that church. But that rebuke helped me, but he did it in love. And that's what needs to happen sometimes when it takes, when somebody has failed you, they've hurt you, and it's a settled pattern or it's a serious offense, you need to go and rebuke them graciously, gently, as you would want to be rebuked if it were you, because if you don't forgive, someday you will have that rebuke. All too often, those who have offended us, we need to, we try to rebuke them like an enemy. And that's not the way God wants us to do it. It's important, again, that we convey love, grace, tenderness, which takes us to the third step an offended person needs to take when he's been offended or she's been offended. Step three, comfort and encourage. Comfort and encourage. There will come a point after the offender realizes what they've done and resulting in their feeling sorrowful and even broken in their spirit is at this point that we need to share the words of comfort and encouragement. The best thing I can, the best example of this is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I believe that's slide 10. The Apostle Paul, you recall in chapter, in the first book of Corinthians, there was this man that was committing adultery with his stepmother. The Apostle Paul said, you know, why haven't you as a church grieved over this terrible sin? I've determined to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of judgment. And he goes on to talk about how a little leaven can leaven the whole lump, including the whole church. Deal with his sin. We get to 2 Corinthians, and it appears that this man has had a change of heart. Evidently, he's been afflicted physically, and he's gotten the picture. And he's broken. And so Paul says this. He said, The punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Comfort and encouragement. I received that from my pastor friend when I first began my ministry. And after I began to make some changes, he was there to notice those changes and say, man, aren't you doing a better job? You're really, you're really learning a lot. That helped me. We need to be aware that when we confront somebody and rebuke them, the next thing we need to do once they've felt some hurt and pain in their own life for what they've done, we need to be able to put our arm around them because that's what forgiveness brings. It brings us together to put our arm around them and say, brother, I love you and I'm all for you. And when we see they're making improvement, we need to be there with some encouragement and some help. Step four, forgive them from your heart. Forgive them from your heart. Matthew 18, we read this. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Peter, Peter's like so many of us, including myself. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And then he tells the parable of the, of the servant who fails to forgive and is required to pay back what he owed. Do you recall that? But then he concludes, verse 35, So my heavenly Father will also do to you if you do not, out of your heart, forgive a brother for his trespasses. What exactly does Jesus mean, out of your heart, 
If you don't forgive somebody from your heart, your father isn't going to forgive you. What's he mean by that? He means your inner person. The heart here doesn't stand for emotions. That's part of it. But emotions are usually created by what we think about. So really, we're going to the heart of the thing, we're going to the mind, what we're thinking about, which spills out into emotions and into things that we do. And so he's saying from the inner person, you need to forgive this person. Now hold that thought for a moment. Now let me just briefly... Well, I'm going to pass over the, the uh, forgiveness about taking action if you are the one who's done the wrong. And that's an important study, but maybe we can cover it on another time. We're running out of time here. So we'll move on to the question, what about this thing about the heart? About the heart. What do we do about that? Forgive him from the heart. Making things right. Forgiveness is a matter of the heart. How do we know we forgave them from the heart? How do you know you've forgiven somebody from the heart? That's the question. Now, we've looked at three things. Forgiveness is first about fellowship. Second, it's about the forgiveness of God. And third, it's about taking action. Action if you are the offended, which is usually the case. And if you know that you've committed wrongs, there are things in Scripture that instruct you as the offender, which we passed over briefly. But the fourth thing about forgiveness is about not remembering. That's how you know that you've forgiven them from the heart if you don't remember it. What do we mean by that? Forgiveness is about not remembering. Not remembering the sins and wrongdoings that have led to the pain and sense of violation we have been experiencing. This is what forgiveness means in the sight of God, who promises to forgive us meaning our sins and offenses he remembers no more. And you may be like my dad, and you're saying, well, show me that verse. I can't believe that's in the Bible. What do you mean God doesn't remember? Jeremiah 31, speaking here of the new covenant that one day will be established for the nation of Israel. No more shall every man teach his brother, or pardon me, teach his neighbor, or every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. That's the nation we're talking about here. And their sin I will remember no more. So there's, first of all, a national forgiveness that God will dole out at that time. But then there are other passages which go to the specific individual. Notice, this is slide 18. Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That means they're gone, never to meet again, in a sense that they block our relationship with God. Micah 7, 9, 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. In that culture, you didn't, you didn't take a, a little submarine down to the bottom and explore the depths of the sea. It was gone. You lose something at sea, it's gone. Forever. That's the figure there. Hebrews eight twelve. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Hebrews ten seventeen. He again 
He adds again, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's a figure for us to understand how our sins have been dealt with by God when it comes to the forgiveness that we're experiencing. From our God, we learn that forgiveness means not remembering. That does not mean that God has a sudden lapse of memory that he can't, oh, I can't remember what he did. That's not the point. But that he will never again bring up that sin or that wrongdoing in the context of our relationship with him. If I've thought a wrong thought and I say, Lord, forgive me, never again will that thought be brought up by God in a way that it would cause a division between me and God or a a separation between us. It's gone. And he wants us to consider them gone from the relationship from any future consideration whatsoever. How unlike the way we do things. Even as Christians. Even with someone we deeply love, like our husband or our wife or our son or our daughter. You always forget what is important to me. Last summer you even forgot our anniversary. You always make me look bad in front of my friends. Just last week, all you did was talk about my forgetfulness. You good-for-nothing son. We've given you everything you've asked for. And you can't even finish one small task that we ask you to do. How many times have we asked you to clean up your room? But seldom do you ever clean it. Now these are what we might call silly or unimportant issues in life. But they demonstrate the heart of what we're talking about here. Forgiveness means not bringing up the past to re-erect a barrier between ourselves and someone we love. Any more than you would want God to drag up everything that you've done and ask him to forgive. But no, he drags it up again and says, look at all the things you've said or all the things you've thought about. He said, well, I've wiped the slate clean. Our forgiveness to God and his word will certainly have an impact on our perceived trustworthiness and future privileges. There's a balance here you need to consider and opportunities that might be offered us in God's kingdom. Just because he's wiped the slate clean doesn't mean that we, if we have a pattern of behavior or there are things that we've done, it may limit us in terms of what we can experience in the way of privileges and opportunities in the kingdom. But it will never come between us and God. That's the difference. However, in the context of our relationship with God, the past is past. Likewise, the same should be true of ourselves and others in life whom we love, work, and enjoy friendship with. The past is past. A lack of faithfulness and dependability can impact our trust of another person while our relationship with that person remains close and positive. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an illustration. Suppose you have a 17-year-old son and you've let them use the family car. They've come home later than promised. And that was, you thought it was a reasonable errand that they were supposed to run, but instead they were gone more than an hour. And you find out that they were running around visiting their friends and doing something else, maybe going for a joy ride in the car, which you didn't approve. 
He told them, go to the store, get something, come back home. So each time before they've done this, this has happened three times, this is the third time, you've forgiven them. You've wiped the slate clean. It wasn't, a, it, didn't, it wasn't something that was brought up in your relationship from that point on. But now this is the third time it's happened. And you take the son's keys away and you say, you're no longer going to have the privilege of using the family car because you've demonstrated that you're not dependable in this situation at this time. However, our relationship with you remains close and positive. And in time, we'll review again the privilege of using the family car. That's the balance we're talking about here. It's one thing to call the past is past in the sense that the, the, the violation, the sin, the wrongdoing, we've wiped the slate clean as far as our relationship with our son. But there's a pattern here that requires some discipline and a denial of privilege, at least for a time, until the son demonstrates responsibility. You understand the balance? I'm sure you do. Now, our past faithfulness to God and his word will certainly have an impact upon our perceived trustworthiness and future privileges and opportunities that might be afforded us in his eternal kingdom. We're all looking, if you, and I know you've been taught so well with Neil, that we have a kingdom that's coming, and we're going to have great opportunities in this kingdom. But we can forfeit those opportunities through sin and wrongdoing and through failure. That doesn't mean that our relationship with God is going to be hurt or that God is going to be distant from us. If we've asked to be forgiven and we forgive others, clearly he's going to forgive us and we're going to have a close relationship with him. But a close relationship doesn't always translate into great responsibility and opportunity. Always in God's estimation, the past is past. Likewise, the same should be said of ourselves and others in life with whom we live, work, and friendship. A lack of faithfulness and dependability can impact our our trust of another person, while our relationship with that person remains close and positive. That's the point. Forgiveness, what is it? It is a lifting or carrying away of something that has come between you and another person, something which has put your relationship on hold or put it into remission. It is a sending away of an offense that has caused hurt in your relationship. It is a a releasing someone from the burden of having caused an offense or having failed you in the relationship in some way. Or to make it clear, and I'm taking all this from the way the words are used in the New Testament and the Old Testament, it is a releasing from the past failure and from the bondage of feeling that you have to prove something more. Let me say that again. It's a releasing from releasing of the offended, offending person from the past failure and from the bondage of feeling that they have to prove something more. True forgiveness results in freedom in a relationship. The freedom to continue the relationship you have built together before the sin or the offense or the violation occurred. Forgiveness not only brings people back together, it releases them from the past and into a freedom to continue friendships and intimacy with loved ones, which Jesus said are the real riches of life. 
the reward of life, one of God's greatest rewards are friendships. We take them too lightly. And when a friend hurts us, well, let's throw them away and we get a new friend. That's not right. You make things work with that friend. That's a friend God sent into your life. That's one of the riches that he's given you and me. Look at Mark 10 sometime and you'll see this uh, whole idea that, that uh, in this life, if we serve the Lord faithfully, he will give us friendships. And that's part of the blessings that we have as Christians. Conclusion, what's in it for me if I forgive somebody? And there's been suggested all along. But let me suggest three or, three, three or four things here that I think will be helpful, four or five things. First, it deepens our love with those whom we have forgiven. When somebody forgives you and you've done something really nasty or said something wrong and they forgive you, you have a greater appreciation of that person, a greater love between the two of you. Secondly, when you forgive somebody, it engenders blessing and happiness for us, those we have forgiven, and the body of Christ. Thirdly, it leads to greater understanding and appreciation of God's eternal love and his commitment to us as his children. We drop the ball, he forgives. And we continue on as his children to grow and mature without feeling like we're on the outs with him, unless we fail to forgive. Fourthly, it causes a healthy fear of God. God's not going to overlook the fact that we are unforgiving. That's a serious violation of trust with God. Fifthly, it contributes to our physical and emotional health. The reason so many people are sick today physically is because they're filled with bitterness and hatred, anger. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it can really enlarge the future. That's what we're talking about here. But then the last question that we have to deal with is how can we do it? It's just so hard. By grace, by God's grace, that's how we can do it. It's not easy. I confess that. I've, I've been probably more often the offender than the offended. And I can tell you it's not easy to ask for forgiveness. And it's not easy to always give forgiveness. But by God's grace, we can do both. A couple weeks ago... If you don't mind me sharing a story here, I know we're out of time, but um, I went, when I was, uh, before I came to this church over 30 years ago, whenever it was, um, it was 1980, 82, 83, just before I came here, there was a man in our church who had done a lot of wrong things uh, in the community, as well as a few people in the church had been hurt. He was a builder. And he would lowball the bids on properties and did some things like that. And, uh, and he had a lot of financial troubles that he had caused in the community. Anyhow, it all came to our attention and it boiled over and we had to go around and some of the elders went and did some research. And one guy said, yeah, oh yeah, we know that guy. He's the one that doesn't smoke or drink or go to movies, but he cheats, lies, and steals. And 
It really broke our heart because we liked the guy, and at the time he was the head of our Awana program and did a great job. It was really good. But this was an area of his life he just couldn't get under control. And so we said, you got a year. you got to get your financial house in order, and he didn't do it. So he was removed from the church. That was about five or six months before I came to this church. When I came here, I said, well, that's the church's problem. You know, where whatever happens to him is, is the church's problem. But over the years, I sort of felt like I'd hear stories, and he'd lost his wife and some other things, and I, I always thought, well, I, I need to contact him. But I never did anything about it. And I knew there was some division between us and so forth. And so uh, I, uh, when I moved to Colorado, had dinner with a friend, and lo and behold, uh, this friend was from those days in Montana, and he was also working now with B. And uh, he invited this, this other couple who happened, the daughter was the, the daughter of this man, whom I'd married, he, she and her husband. So we all had dinner together, and I asked her, I said, well, how's your dad doing? She told me he's doing pretty good. And I said, I need to talk to him. And uh, she said, well, I know he'd like to see you. I said, okay. Well, I didn't do anything about it. A year went by, a couple years went by. And uh, this is past summer, the house uh, was threatened uh, with the fire, and so we had to re- evacuate. So we went down to, to this friend's house, which who had us to dinner with this other couple. And um, we all both showed up there at the same time because they were evacuated too. And uh, make a long story short, we decided we'd go to and stay at a hotel, and we did. But I asked her at the time, I said, uh, you know, I've been thinking about your dad. Do you have his phone number? So I got the phone number, and after the fire this summer, I called him up, and I found that he lived right down the street from us, practically. I mean, down the road, maybe four or five miles. And I called him up, and I said, I, I'd like to come over and visit with you. And uh, he said, sure, sure, come on over. So I came over. I walked out. I was a little bit scared, you know, even at this point in life. And I was, you know, what am I going to say? I, you know, what's he going to say? And uh, I came in, and I just sat down, listened, and he seemed like himself and enjoying himself. And I said, so-and-so, I said, one of the reasons I came by is I wanted just to tell you I feel that I really dropped the ball. I really dropped the ball in terms of our relationship. You and I were friends in Montana. And, and then after the, the situation with the church, I said, uh, you left. And, and, uh, but uh, I said, um, I feel like I should have pursued and talked to you and tried to do something to heal the... the the whole situation. I, I want you to forgive me. Would you do that? He says, sure, Arch. I forgive you. And that was hard for me to do. But as you get older, you begin to realize that relationships are important. You just don't drop people out of your life and say, I'm done with that person. Any more than you would want God to do that with you. Even though you're his child, you don't want him ever to say, I don't want anything more to do with that child. You know, you can come and live in heaven, but I don't want to ever see you again. We don't want that. That's exactly what I think we're talking about here. It's just so important. And I can't emphasize it enough. If you've got a problem with somebody, go deal with it. It'll be worth the effort. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness of us. We know we've all failed in so many ways. And we've come to you and asked you to forgive us, and you have graciously and effectively and forever forgiven us. But we trust, Lord, that you will help us to forgive each other for where we failed you. In Jesus' name. Amen.